The mission of the Pennsylvania Department of Education is to ensure that every learner has access to a world-class education system. Welcome to PDE Presents, a podcast series for lifelong learners that's dedicated to elevating voices across the Commonwealth. And now your host, Noe Ortega. Welcome to PDE Presents. I'm your host, Noe Ortega. PDE Presents is part of a broader strategy by the Pennsylvania Department of Education aimed at changing the way that we think and talk about the mission and outcomes of education in the Commonwealth and across the country. Through this strategy, the department aims to shine a spotlight on the greater public good and collective mission of education. This podcast invites scholars, school leaders, educators, and other stakeholders to participate in conversations that unpack contemporary topics in education with a focus on equity. My guest today is Sharif Elmeki, the founder and CEO of the Center for Black Educator Development. The center exists to ensure there will be equity in the recruiting, training, hiring, and retention of quality educators that reflect the cultural backgrounds and share common sociopolitical interests of the students they serve. Prior to founding the center, Elmeki served as a nationally recognized principal and U.S. Department of Education Principal Ambassador Fellow. His school, Mastery Charter Shoemaker, was recognized by President Obama and Oprah Winfrey and was awarded the prestigious EPIC Award for three consecutive years as being amongst the top three schools in the country for accelerating students' achievement levels. In 2014, El Mackey founded the Fellowship, Black Male Educators for Social Justice, an organization dedicated to recruiting, retaining, and developing Black male teachers. El Mackey blogs on Philly's Seventh Ward, is a member of the Eight Black Hands podcast and serves on several boards and committees focused on educational and racial justice. Welcome to PDE Presents, Sharif. Thanks so much. Um, it is great to, to be here, uh, Secretary Nortega. And um, you know, thank you for this, this platform um, that focuses on equity. It's really Absolutely. important. Absolutely pleasure to have you, Sharif. For those who may be meeting you virtually for the first time, what is something that you might be willing to share with our listeners about who you are as a professional and how you approach the work? Yeah, so I am, this is my 26th year working, uh, well, I had 26 years working inside of schools. Um, so I'll start with that. I came in as a alternative certification teacher. I was on my way to law school and decided to teach. There was an alternative certification program looking to hire more black men. Uh, and it was between the School District of Philadelphia, Cheney University, and Concerned Black Men, a national nonprofit. And once I got to Turner Middle School and I started teaching eighth graders uh, social studies and literature, I never looked back. So I'm on uh, like now the 28th year uh, where I've deferred law school, you know, <laughs> continue <laughs> to defer it. Uh, but I, I really just appreciated, you know, uh, how education has allowed me to uh, really fulfill what I, what I wanted to do in life, which was impact my community, um, you know, uh, bring some of the activist leanings that I had as a, as a child and growing up. I'm and supporting the community, um, particularly children and, and youth. So I'm, I'm really, you know, just really grateful for about that. And that, that has continued, my work as a teacher uh, has continued to be on the front of my mind as I 
transitioned to a principal and now as a you know uh, CEO of a nonprofit. Appreciate that. I, I also appreciate that your story begins. A funny thing happened on my way to becoming a lawyer. Right. You ended up in education. Yeah, um, different type of lawyer joke, right? <laughs> definitely, definitely. Well, Sharif, there's no doubt this past year has changed the educational landscape forever. What do you feel is one of the most pressing matters in the field of education? Yeah, I, I think, you know, two things. One, um, when we look at just school communities and what they meant for so many people, both, uh, you know, the students, the adults, whether they're uh, family members, parents or, or staff, uh, you know, that, that, that community, that's, you know, was just such an important part of people's lives when it was thriving. Uh, when there were when there were struggles, it also showed like for some students it was almost a reprieve. Uh, but regardless of what the experience was, we we have to recognize the the interrupted learning that uh, that occurred. Um, you know, for for some students, twelve or thirteen months. Uh, you know, and it doesn't mean that students weren't learning anything, but it definitely had an impact for um, for a significant number of students. I think the other thing that really, uh, you know, is challenging with this, uh, with the the landscape is we have the pandemic on one side, but then you also have this uh, this endemic of of uh, institutional racism that also collides with that. So you have these two entities coming together that really significantly impact all of us, but particularly students uh, of color. Um, and black students in particular, um, when they are seeing things like uh, the situations and, and the murders of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, uh, but also there are students in those communities. There are students who look at TV and say, wow, that looks like my parents or my uh, neighbors. And what is the, the racial stress that impacts them, but also uh, staff and teachers of color who have those same type of uh, racial stress, even if it manifests itself a little bit differently than it would um, a child. And then you have large groups of educators trying to make sense of like, okay, what's the Monday morning question? How do we, how do we converse with our students? How do we converse with our staff? Um, and what does, this, what does this mean all in the, the context? So uh, I, I would say, you know, when we talk about like the pressing matters, I think obviously the health and safety but also, you know, safety at a larger sense, like, you know, not just the physical, but the emotional, the cultural, the intellectual, the spiritual safety of a child to, to be able to be fully present, to be their full selves. And, and, um, and what does that mean? How do we construct those type of uh, communities? And I think a big part of that, as we're thinking about safety, it is also uh, teacher preparation, elevating the profession through diversity. Um, strengthening uh, pathways to for people to lead the classrooms, um, so that there's more parity in uh, in racial and cultural backgrounds um, between teachers and students and educators and and students. So, I think there's a lot uh, going on. You know, where there's mm -hmm. always there are always challenges. But I think if I had to lift up uh, two things, it would one be the the health and safety and returning and addressing interrupted learning loss and like, okay, how can we accelerate it? And acknowledging uh, the, the racial stress that 
students and teachers of color, educators of color uh, experience and how do we elevate this profession as we try to reimagine what could a new system look like post pandemic. I appreciate that. Sharif, and I think, you know, one of the things that's important that you bring up is here we are, right, you know, on the cusp of, of a verdict being determined on the George Floyd case, you know, folks really thinking about the disrupted learning, but also needing to reconcile the other reality of what we're seeing play out around racial injustice as well. And I think <clears throat> these are two important things that educators, many of them who feel like they're not equipped, have to begin to reconcile, particularly when we're moving to in-person instruction. You know, I think about your career, and I know that a lot of the conversations that you and I have around equity, uh, in particular racial justice, and how that informs education and our interaction for, the, for educators, I wonder if you might share with our listeners how your equity lens informs and frames the way that you approach your work each and every day. Yeah, absolutely. I think one, when, when I uh, you know, way back in 1993, when I was uh, considering becoming a teacher. Uh, and I wanted to be a lawyer because I wanted to Im impact change. I wanted to reform, you know, uh, I wanted to be able to, uh, you know, fight for justice, you know, um, and expose injustice, as my friend Michael Cord often says, is what happens when you go to a courtroom as a lawyer. Uh, but when Dr. Martin Ryder, Black man, veteran educator, um, in the school district of Philadelphia, what he talked about was that educational justice and racial justice were deeply intertwined and you could never really separate the two. And if you were addressing one, you had to automatically address the other if it was true, if it was going to really be uh, you know, uh, in pursuit of justice. And that really resonated with me over, you know, over the, the span of my career and definitely informs how we work at the Center uh, for Black Educator Development this idea of you know, equity and what does it mean? Uh, how do students experience school? Not just the teaching, not just the learning, but how also do students of color in particular experience? How do uh, you know, families and communities of color, how do they experience um, efforts to improve or accelerate um, student outcomes? You know, do they feel that they are part of it? Um, when we look at, uh, attrition rates, you know, that there's a, a saying that, you know, teachers don't often quit their students or their school or their school communities, they quit their principals, right? And so what does equity look like as far as uh, principal development and how effective are they in leading a school's, you know, kind of maintaining a, a culture that's conducive for teaching and learning, developing a leadership team to support the entire school building, um, all of those things, and and where are students of of color? You know, uh, where are black students? Where are brown students attending schools? And if you looked at a map, is uh, our is achievement? Could you look at it and predict it based off of a zip code and and the the inhabitants of a zip code, right? Like, are will they more likely to have the least experienced teachers? The you know. Uh, the schools that are, you know, environmentally unsafe, are those cities or districts, uh, you know, underfunded, right? Like you can sometimes look at these things and they become predictable. And for us, that is a matter of, of equity, um, first and foremost. Uh, how how uh, learner ready, so to speak, an educator is 
how many accomplished educators do I have as a as a black or brown child? All of those are are equity issues for us, which means that they are they impede the path towards justice. And and so for us, that is a, a big part, ensuring that our, our teachers are are well um, uh, just prepared and informed and reflective and, and have the cultural humility and fluency to be able to work with students, to be able to see and hear the students that they serve. And, and those are some of the things that accelerate student achievement, but often our students of, of color do not have those, uh, they do not have the accomplished teachers. Uh, they do not have teachers that look like them or educators that look like them and understand them at a deeper level. And we know the impact that this has both short-term as well as long-term when uh, students of color do not have educators, particularly teachers who look like them and share um, you know, their backgrounds. And so the, for, for us, that is a big part of our work. While we recruit black and brown teachers, we provide professional learning opportunities for all educators. And for us, that is a really, really important piece. And I appreciate that you share that perspective uh, with our listeners, uh, Sharif. I know since the time that you and I have been working together, you've always held the department and myself in both my roles as the Deputy Secretary for Higher Education and now as the Acting Secretary. You know, you've held us accountable to ensure that educators are culturally responsive, that are using culturally relevant approaches to their work. And I know you've described learner ready, you know, and you've always had that. Uh, uh, extra element of making sure that we understand the importance of the role that the educators play. And I think it's really coming out in how you share the way that you frame your work. I wonder if you might also be able to share some of the things that you, your team are doing at the center to break down barriers and maybe even reconstruct systems with equity at the forefront. And uh, if, if it's something that you've been working on for some time or even something new in the pipeline, please feel free to share with our listeners. Well, Secretary Ortega, one of these you know very well because you've been, uh, you know, leading this effort from early on is the Aspiring to Educate uh, initiative uh, through the department, both as a deputy uh, secretary um, with, with then Secretary uh, Rivera and then now as an acting secretary. And I think this Aspiring to Educate initiative is, is really uh, highlights uh, and just important work. To, to deconstruct some of the barriers that exist to, to reimagine. And for the listeners, this aspiring to educate what it, uh, I think two major things happen. One, it, it kind of really planted a flag of setting a goal, specific goal of uh, increasing diversity um, by 20% by 2025 across the Commonwealth. Um, so I, I think a lot of times states are, you know, a little adverse to setting goals because they're nervous about failing. But what a goal does allow you to do, particularly a public goal, it, it allows other to galvanize the sector, to you know uh, have almost be a rallying cry for people to come together because it is not just the uh, Department of Ed who's responsible for this. There are a whole lot of stakeholders and constituents who can contribute to the success the same way that they contributed to the bricks in, in, inside of the walls that, that uh, served as barriers. And so I, I think that's one, you know, um, and I remember some of, you know, the meetings that we had, whether they were at, in Harrisburg or whether they were in Omaha with other uh, departments of eds across the, the country and really trying to, uh, you know, address the issue. And I think 
you know, Pennsylvania's outlook to aspiring to educate was one of the more uh, holistic and comprehensive um, efforts. Uh, I would say, you know, with this uh, aspiring to educate, the other part that it did is not only kind of be this clarion call about the issue, but it also galvanized a group of folks. So one of the applicants uh, for the funding that uh, came through Aspiring to Educate was around a consortium and bringing people together, bringing organizations and institutions together that unfortunately, you know, maybe they were in same spaces before, but not around a singular issue, which is teacher diversity and elevating the profession. Uh, which I, I think this is what allowed us to do. We are honored to be a part of that, um, you know, as the center, you know, uh, both through our the professional development work that we're doing with some of the IHE, some of the universities, uh, you know, across the state, as well as our teacher apprenticeship program, where we raise money to to pay high school and college students um, who identify as Black and Brown to practice the art of teaching, to practice. Um, and interrogate the, the mindsets that they must have to be effective uh, educators, um, to be able to work collaboratively with other high school and college students to, in an effort to uh, have this clinical experience that, that directly impacts first, second, and third graders' literacy rates, their positive racial identity, uh, you know, their educational activism. And so I, I, for us, the, this Aspiring to Educate initiative has been uh, just a tremendous, uh, you know, part of our of our work, and you know, we're we're grateful, honored, and excited to to do this work in community. Like as a teacher, I, I was never I never felt like I was not in community uh, with others doing the work. As a as a school leader, even though both of those roles may feel isolating, we found affinity spaces. We found you know our 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 village, our our crew, our team. Uh, to to work together on particular issues, whether it's individual student achievement or someone struggling or a colleague who needed help. And I feel the same way at, at the Center for Black Educator Development that I feel that we are in community with others in trying to address some of the entrenched issues um, of, of equity and, and, and particularly around uh, racial parity between educators and uh, teachers specifically and students. So this is all very, very close to my uh, heart, my life mission, and 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 the center's um, work. I think, Sharif, when you raised the idea of community, to me, that was one of the takeaways from the aspiring to educate work because it simply went in there and elevated what was already happening in the community, right? In the Philadelphia community, with your center, the institutions of higher education, the schools that you had been a part of with the school district of Philadelphia and everyone came together to sort of elevate. And to a certain extent, it uh, eliminated the excuse that anyone would put out that if you don't have the critical mass of educators of color, then you could not embark on this path. And what this suggested was, no, you can tap into elements of the community where you could find the affinity groups to provide support for your educators of color and use that as a stepping stone. And I think that came through with your involvement and what you represented. So, you know, on behalf of the department myself, I thank you for that as well. Um, thank you. To be a part of that. Uh, Sharif, this work that we're doing, you know, as we try to address some of these inequities, these racial injustices, educational injustices, as you've uh, of characterized them in our conversation, is not easy. Mm -hmm. 
do you have any advice on the strategies that you use that you might be willing to share with some of our listeners who are looking to following your footsteps on how you uh, manage and cope with a lot of the, the stresses and anxieties that surround this work? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. You know, and I, I think about this a lot, you know, uh, now and as well as over the past quarter century, you know, I, I think it's a, a it's a delicate balance of being humble and bold. Um, I, I think the humility comes in with understanding like you can't do it alone. It's not going to change overnight, that you have to take care of yourself well in order to uh, be able to serve others. Um, that you have to uh, be inquisitive and curious and, and really ask, solicit feedback um, and listen and, and, and kind of really try to understand where other people are coming from. And just as importantly, how they are experiencing your leadership, how they are experiencing your work, right? Because we can often come in and like, you know, if we have uh, a lack of humility, we can think like, oh, we're here and we're going to fix this and we're going to address this and we're going to do this. Um, but it's not in community with others. It's not um, looking at other perspectives. It's not in service to, um, you know, the community and the way that they want to be served, right? And so I think a big part of it is is really asking, like, how do you experience my leadership? How do you experience my work? Is it as a partner or, you know, what can I do better? What can I start, stop, or continue? And those are questions that I used to ask as a principal, as a teacher, and now I'm, you know, also asking in this space. And I think, you know, that's uh, that we all can do that. And we can all uh, be reminded, um, you know, about that. And then the other side is being bold, like, you know, uh, setting goals and, and seeking them and, and setting uh, benchmarks and milestones to to get to a particular goal. And I, I think being bold means that, you know, Muhammad Ali used to say, hey, if you're aspirations or your dreams don't uh scare you a little bit go back to sleep and dream up something new you know like so you you have to have that kind of uh boldness because we we have to recognize the depth of the problems uh the challenges that our students face and if anything we should be ready to hand off the baton that and things are better and so we have that takes a you know boldness and it takes action it takes thought and action uh and so i, I think combining those two things, you know, where you have the humility, cultural humility, reflectiveness, uh, curiosity, um, and I think that kind of servant leadership, and then also being bold and recognizing like, you know, we have to have act with a sense of urgency. And the sense of urgency doesn't mean, they, these don't have to conflict, right? Like sometimes people act with a sense of urgency and they don't care who they run over to get there. Um, but there are other ways to to do that. There's an African proverb, like, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And I think uh, this has been a theme of our conversation, uh, whether it's aspiring to educate and the consortium or, you know, as educators, you know, the, the goal is to go together, like get there together, to win together, um, you know, to struggle for, you know, in the, on the path of, you know, as we used to say back in the day on the path of righteousness, uh, you know, that is done in community with others. And with that, we'll be able to go far. I appreciate that, Sharif. And I think for me, you know, it's, it's clear that you've been able to fashion your profession to really become sort of a social justice advocate, right? And often we forget to talk about educators from that sense. And I think it's really going to be 
what would be introduced, I know in our conversations, as a new way to characterize our educators as, as we move into a new century, right? Take on new issues and deal with uh, a lot of the disruptions that we've seen, not just from the pandemic, but things that we've seen in terms of injustice play out. And so I really do appreciate that. You know, I think our listeners are gonna take away that you truly exemplify servant leadership in what you do. And I think in many ways, you know, you continue to be sort of that legal advocate. So we really do appreciate the insight that you provided today. And I wanna thank you for joining us today. And just let me personally add that this has been an absolute privilege to talk with you as well. Uh, and I look forward to continuing to work together, Sharif. Secretary Ortega, thank you for inviting me uh, onto this uh, program and appreciate your work and leadership and looking forward to the continued collaboration uh, on this path of equity. Thank you. I'm Noe Ortega and thank you to all who joined us today for PDE Presents. Production and technical assistance provided by the Harrisburg branch of the Pennsylvania Training and Technical Assistance Network.